This September, Welcome to the Northside U2 Fan Festival will be celebrating its fifth year. Now, we know that right now the world is a very different place, but it is our hope and intention to provide the celebration that we will all need. And over the course of one weekend, from the 25th to the 27th of September, Welcome to the Northside Festival intends to present the best U2 tribute bands around. The Joshua Tree, U2 Baby, Zuropa, and much more. By September, we will all need a holiday. If we can, we will see you there. For the latest up-to-date information, please visit facebook.com forward slash welcome to the Northside Dublin. All right, Tyler. All right, Johnny. You like you too, don't you? I do. Then you might like Funeral by Arcade Fire. So as the strains of Wake Up die away, it's time for us to sit down with another album for another edition of Tummel, or then you might like. Brought to you by the lads from Review 2. That's myself, Tyler, and... Johnny, you usually say my name. Well, you can say it this time, can't you? Well, what a privilege. Very excited about today's episode, Johnny. But you, you did introduce me to Arcade Fire. I remember there was... Um, around the same time I got into you 2 I got into Arcade Fire and I think the two are kind of linked uh, but I remember there was a BBC uh, I think it was a Richard Attenborough series or something uh, Planet Earth or something like that and, and they were using David Attenborough surely what did I say? Richard Attenborough who's his yes. very talented but um, <laughs> differently skilled brother yes not Santa Claus David Attenborough um, documentary guy and uh, they they used "Wake Up" by Arcade Fire as the as the music on the advert. I wanted to know who they were, who they were, and what the song was. And then you had the album, and it was like just finding this treasure trove of something you know you'd been searching for, and you to find that you had the whole album. And then I I soon bought it. Um, it was it was just a great time. Uh, for discovering new music and uh, I, I like that there's a lot of U2 links so uh, how many U2 links have you got? Um, I've got quite a few I've got three or four just to say where I heard this album it was obviously at that same particular time and I felt and I think a lot of people felt this hearing this album it was like we'd reset something there were a lot yeah. of bands around um, peddling a certain type of indie garage music, which was which was fine, and it was all well and good in its place. But there was also a lot of dross around at the time, and I'm thinking about bands like maybe I don't know, just have a go at bands for no reason, but like just stuff that was like, yeah, this is this is this is fine, but it's not really, it's not essential music to me, you know, like the bravery and Kaiser Chiefs. I'm I'm just it's around and it's on the radio and people are listening to it, but it's not exactly setting me alight. And even things like Arctic Monkeys, I wasn't really that bothered about in, in the way that other people were. And then Funeral comes out and you see these guys play live and you hear this new, exciting, 
both fresh, traditional, familiar and weird music and it's it's just a breath of fresh air to be honest. It's 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 fantastic to hear something like this and that's why I got so excited about Arcade Fire and probably why Funeral is still hand on heart in my opinion their best work. Well, but, I think there's a yeah. lot tied into that because for me I think there was a, a feeling of uh, this sets me apart because I like this kind of music. This makes me different. It wasn't in 2004 when I was in the earlier years of high school. It wasn't. Re- this wasn't the kind of thing that was considered to be pop music. It was more hip hop um, and and more of a scene that I never really felt too comfortable with. And then to have this, it was like, okay, this is what I like. This is my own thing, and nobody else is listening to this. And it was only a couple of years down the line when um, my peers started listening to that that kind of music. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just it's a time in my life, and it's a it's a really important album, a pivotal album, I think, in a way for me. Yeah, um, I mean, it's the same same kind of thing for me, really. And I think that what you mentioned before about it tying into the Vertigo tour really helped as well. The perfect way to be introduced to Arcade Fire and particularly Wake Up is at the start of the Vertigo tour when you've just gone to see your favourite band ever for the very first time in Manchester. Yeah. I mean, that's how... Is there any better way to experience a new band coming up? Um, it's, it's, it's always going to be a special song for us because of that, isn't it, really? Yeah, and it's one that I've I have listened to too much. I over listened to it at the start, and then, like a lot of singles, I kind of got a bit sick of it, and now I've started to come back around to it. Um, it's it's one that's instantly recognisable, and I guess we shouldn't talk too much about that for now. But that's one of our first links between Arcade Fire and you two. Bono using um, I'm saying Bono, the band using that as their walk on music during the Vertigo tour in 2005. There was quite what an honour that is as well. If you're, if you know, this is a song off your first album. Well, exactly. I mean, it, it's an honour, but in the, there's been some other people on the other side of things. The people who generally like to be quite sniffy about you too, saying that <gasps> um, it was. Yeah, there are some um, saying that this is exactly the sort of thing Bono does. I, I can't remember where this is from. It might be from NME, but um, I've got this quote here. So you, you can have a look at it, and they're talking about the fact that Arcade Fire became this instant hit that people wanted to get a piece of and people were saying this in a cynical way so i'll just read it from this a little bit coldplay's live show once snivelly and insular now clearly indebted to the montreal band's live act with dials for euphoria turn up to 11 would never be the same again then like a fly to s came bono He's always there, is Bono. You can set your watch by him. Ringing the cool <laughs> magazine's one-to-watch list in red ma- in marker pen, lying in wait, sharpening his fangs, ready to pounce, to drag the latest big thing off to his Dublin dungeon to drain them of blood. In the case of the Arcade Fire, that's, I mean, just Arcade Fire, it's not the Arcade Fire. In the case of Arcade Fire, he may do with using Wake Up as a walk-up music on U2's colossal Vertigo tour in 2005. So that's the opposite side to that. I think it is a, an honour and a privilege. And, and the other connection is that the band would support you two um, occasionally. So, I mean, how many have you got many gigs that they supported them on here? Oh, here we go. Oh, sorry, I'm babbling here. Arcade Fire no. opened four concerts for you two, including Montreal and Ottawa. And obviously that's that's closer to their, their home. And during one of the shows, Arcade Fire did a riff on the use of the way, uh, the, uh, the, uh, wake up music against the screen lit in red the band took to the stage uh that night to the u2s where the streets have no name 
So that's an interesting, um, an interesting little connection. Yeah, I, I know that later on, um, Bono would appear in videos with Win Butler and Arcade Fire, uh, and Arcade Fire also used the uh, what do they call the the big heads? Yeah, that's skipping forward um, a little bit further to when they were doing Reflector and the whole Here Comes the Nighttime thing. And yeah. um, they used the big heads for the videos and they used them, I think they must have used them live as well. Um, but yes, they did, yeah. And there was a very they, conscious they reference. wearing them. Yeah, and th- there's a very conscious reference to that in the Here Comes the Nighttime video, which is, which is very long. And there's people getting pushed, who are on stage in the big heads, getting pushed out of the band. Um, as Win Butler takes to the stage, and as the big heads go off, you realise it's Bono, and I think Ben Stiller. I don't really get the Ben Stiller thing, but um, yeah, there, uh, yeah, Ben Stiller's the. There's a couple of guys from the Hangover. Um, Bono seems to be uh, the only one that actually makes sense, though, because that's a conscious reference back to the big heads from the whole Zoo TV days, isn't it? Yeah, Zach Gal- uh, Galifianakis is there as well. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm sure it's hilarious being there, but the Bono <laughs> thing is what is more interesting to me. And um, yeah. I saw some, if you look at the comments on on the YouTube videos or look on some forums, not that I spend a lot of time doing that because, I mean, life is really too short. But there were, anytime U2 gets brought up, there's a sort of vocal, very vocal, uh, but very small group of people who are saying, okay, if I are the best and... Um, there's nothing. They're nothing to do with you two, and they're so much better than and more authentic than you two. And it's like, look, they've they've made conscious re- conscious references to Potmar and Zoo TV. They've acknowledged this as a massive influence, and they do it in the right kind of way. And there is an argument to be made. I think that you can make a, a rather simplistic but fairly convincing comparison to the different phases that have existed in Arcade Fire. And you could maybe be a little bit critical and say that they've actually just taken some stuff wholesale. I mean, the last tour and the reflector sort of stuff, very similar to Potmar and Zoo TV, and possibly too similar in some ways. Um, well, having seen... Disco balls everywhere? Yeah, having seen the, the most recent tour, um, I forget what it was Everything now? called. Uh, yeah, uh, like infinite content now. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so that tour, I, I saw that that tour twice mm. because of how good it was. Um, I saw it in Manchester, and then I went to Birmingham the next week. And yeah, very. They lent very heavily from Zoo TV and Pop Mart, and um, many other little things here and there from U2's career but it they made it their own and it, it worked and it's not as if they stole it in the same year or the next year they stole it 30 years later yeah. you know they, they, they'd they waited a long time and you know th- th- those ideas were still there and could still be adopted and made fresh and Arcade Fire were just the first ones to do it and it, it took 30 years for someone to try and uh, approach the success that, that U2 had and they did a really, really good job. The whole presentation was amazing. It's very. How many gigs do people go to and think that that's so good? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go again next week. Mm. You know, and just stop. You don't. That doesn't happen very often. And um, I, I think they've lent. M- mostly, they've lent from the uh, the the good pile of of U 2s ideas, and um, tried to leave U 2s mistakes alone. And I think that's a, that's that's a good idea. Why, why not learn from the people that came before you? 
Yeah, and I think they also have the depth to match the presentation. There are a lot of bands out there who do spectacular live shows. Like, I don't know, let's say, just off the top of my head, in this same ballpark, Coldplay, Killers, that kind of thing. But I don't think either of those bands, in, in my opinion, have the same depth and thought behind, particularly the lyrics of what they're doing. So I think if you have got a tour like Reflector or the Infinite Content Tour or whatever it's called, yes, it a U2 fan can see the influence, but the songs are good in their own right, and it's not just let's nick ideas. No, I I thought there were some songs that I weren't convinced about on everything now until I saw them live. Live made that album make so you know so much sense. It had it had to be seen, and I, and I. It's two years ago, and I, I wish that tour was still going. You know, that I could hop on a plane and and go and see it somewhere because it was just it's so good, so good. And I feel like they'll move on from that now. They'll go and do something different. But I really still want a, another piece of that for myself. See, to me, and we shouldn't probably harp on too long about about this point in the career because we're going right back to the start in the main in the main part of the episode. But to me, we're going back to the start. We're not doing Coldplay. We're, we're, we're doing Arcade Fire. That's the ones that we're doing today. Um, yeah. um, but I think Reflector did that well and it, Infinite Content or everything now, it, it, that whole part of the career, I think uh, uh, that's where it kind of got a little bit predictable and a bit samey. And I don't know, that that album, maybe as you say, you need to see it live to understand it, but I I didn't enjoy it as, as, as much at all. And I think now they need to maybe go back to basics and do something... Just or just do something different. Dream it all up again. They need to do basically an all you can't leave behind. Right. Well, uh, let's. Um, is this pre- this preamble? Does it have a, an end date? Well, let's do a couple more of these U two connections because we've also got the fact that Regine Chassain appeared in the re-recorded version of "Hold Me, Thrill Me," which we experienced on the Experience and Innocent tour, and that was just a. Epic treat it was fantastic you presumably knew that was coming by the time i would watch the show with you but i wasn't I didn't oh know yeah about but it. The, the first time i saw it oh god tingles yeah, exactly so that's another nice connection between the band and do you have anything more anything else um just on by the way of our u2 connections or should we should we stop blabbing and get into it no, other than just to say that that, that, that moment when you st- stood in, uh, so for me, Madison Square Garden watching, about to watch, well, you're watching you two, and then Regine uh, Chassain's voice comes on and it's this Gavin Friday kind of influence. Yeah. It was kind of all these things coming together, you know, it was really, and it's really cool. And I was I was really uh, happy when they, when they released that. And I posted on Twitter earlier a picture of uh, me, uh, in my office, I've got my WrestleMania hat on. I'm looking at the Arcade Fire album, and I've got a picture of you uh, two in the background. And she's like, "Oh, that's that's just like that's basically just you in a you know in a very small box." If you just <laughs> and um, so the two things kind of relate. Um, All you right, need is what we doing now? Iron Maiden T-shirt hung up somewhere in the background, and you basically summed up Tyler. Yeah, pretty much. Um, well. The last thing I want to say before we start is oddly from Pitchfork, who sometimes I think can be accused of overwriting the reviews. But um, <laughs> towards the end of Funeral, which they obviously loved because Arcade Fire are like a band designed to be loved by Pitchfork. Um, I think the writer of that review did actually hit the nail right on the head and will bring me to my last U2 connection, which is which is this this quote. So um, they're talking about the, the end of the album, Funeral, and they're saying... 
so long as we're unable or unwilling to fully recognize the healing aspect of embracing honest emotion in popular music we will always approach the sincerity of an album like funeral from a clinical distance and that idea of them being that unbridled honest un yeah un unfettered emotion expressed in an honest way i think that is a big part of what appeals to me about funeral and where you get that crossover between the two bands and i think it's something that it, it's so so easy to step on like a like a i don't know like a rare flower with a big dot martin there's this snobbishness in a lot of musical circles that as soon as you're experiencing emotion or expressing it that way and it's not under a blanket of 10 levels of irony or sneer or snark or front it just doesn't come across whereas this album is just i mean it's 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 bare isn't it really and that's a lot to do i guess with the the context of the album and yeah and it's, its title it's kind of powerful but fragile at the same time yeah exactly yeah um right okay so uh, it's time to do th- so this album was released on the 14th of september 2004 16 years ago wow and um the, the chart at this time is coming up let's hit that chart in at number 10 dumb 411 number 9 you should really know pirates in at number 8 she will be loved maroon 5 Ugh. down to 7 this week it's these words natasha beddingfield in at number 6 sunshine by twister staying at number 5 it's baby cakes by three of a kind in at number four this week, it's Leave Get Out by Jojo. New on the chart at three, it's That Girl by McFly. Down to two this week, My Place, Flap Your Wings by Nelly. And new to number one, it's Real to Me by Brian McFadden. Wow, that is a hot steaming pile, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, when Maroon 5 is, is uh, my favourite track out of ten, uh, that's not good. That's not good. Oh, Natasha Beddingfield. I'm not sorry to be shed of her in the charts, honestly. Ugh. Uh, well, at least the, the words were her own. Well, that you couldn't take that away from her, definitely not. In fact, I'm just going to check that. What, that she what actually if, wrote it? What if Natasha Bedingfield didn't, didn't, didn't write these words of my own? be a scandal that would rock the uh, music industry to its core, well, I'm sure. That's why I'm, I'm halting the podcast, because really... Uh, well, how long do you need to look it up? I'm I'm looking now. Songwriters. Well, she's she's one of four. Well, so she should have been singing, you know, a quarter of these words of my own. Twenty five percent of these words, I can guarantee, those were mine. <laughs> oh, that's scandalous, isn't it? Well, I mean, this is going to make the uh, the front page of Enemy. I'm sure. I'm I'm, I'm a bit furious with that, really, if I'm honest. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, it's not our kind of chart, but there we go. Uh, that's the world that Archifar were coming into, and I suppose gives credence to what you were saying before about them being somewhat different to what was popular at the time. Although ob- there's a new, there's a new feature, chart or chart. Uh, that's revolting. So, um, I mean, <laughs> although I know what most of that chart was. Um, right. So, so funeral, as you say, it was recorded in two thousand and four. And um, for a debut album, it's somewhat strangely named because it's obviously Death, Funeral. And apparently this is because during the recording process, a lot of family members died um, either near to or around the album being recorded and written. 
um, including um, Chassane's grandmother, uh, Wynne and William Butler's grandfather, who was a musician in his own right, and Richard Reed Parry's aunts. Um, so, I mean, that's just the ones that we've talked about here. And Archifier is a it's a, a larger outfit. There's kind of about four or five key members, depending on how you slice it, or maybe five or six. And then there's additional ones around it. But there just happened to be a lot of a lot of bereavements going on at this time. And that adds again to this album being serious and sad, but there's a celebration of, of life there as well, if that's not too corny. All right, Johnny, real talk. I didn't know any of that. Really? And I always, th- I, I didn't know any of that. Uh, and and I'm doing your really... research then? Um, w- w- in a way, <laughs> I always thought like um, funeral as the start of something was a really interesting idea and you know and and because it contrasts i thought that's why they they'd done it um but you also the handbook which uh, um i've just reached for yep. which comes in the cd and the the record is set out like an order of service yeah and i remember that i've not um, got my copy on me though um it's a, it's it's back in my like old family home but i do remember that yeah. and it being it being very unique as well having this very um delicately and carefully made quality to you know the um the card and the the prints or the woodblock prints that are on it yeah it's like it's a really really nice uh package but i recently bought the the vinyl um an original pressing of course course. and um what had always annoyed me about the cd version was that the order of service which is an a5 pamphlet was folded and but of course you don't need to do that with the twelve inch vinyl. So I've now got an order of service which is not folded. Wow. I mean, you're a lucky boy. Really good looking vinyl. Really good looking design. Can I ask? Is there inside a? I seem to remember, and I might be totally wrong about this. Is there like a? Is there a tree in there as well? A tree. Like a picture of a tree in there. And the reason I'm asking that is because I seem to remember that being in there and always linking it with that line that Regine sings about her family tree losing all its leaves. No trees. There's some flowers. Uh, um, I might have dreamt that. Yeah. No, the, the closest thing to a tree is the, the feather on the front cover. But they also... There's a picture of the band in there, isn't there, as well? Uh, yeah. They look like... Um, they look on, so on the different. the order of service. They look different, don't they? I mean, they look kind of funereal and just like something that isn't like every other indie band that was around. They don't look like Razorlight, is what I'm saying. No, they look more like Fleetwood Mac. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You know, same same colour palette and uh, things like that. Um, but yeah, really, really nice um, record and uh, proud to have it in my collection. I've also got a uh, seven inch of Wake Up. Um which I'm very proud of. It's etched on one side. With what? A design. I can't remember what. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I think we need to wake up and kick this review into gear with Neighbourhood, hashtag one, Tunnels. Yes. Uh, released June 20th, 2004. It's at a length of 4 minutes 48 seconds. And... Um, yeah, they really got on this uh, whole Twitter hashtagging thing early, didn't they? How do you mean? Well, it's neighbors, neighborhood. Oh, hashtag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Twitter was in its infancy right. at this point, so you know, pioneers in a lot of ways. Was Twitter around in two thousand and four? Uh, I believe it was in its infancy. Um, let's not. You can worry. say that about anything, can't you? 
Not anything. You can say that my grandchildren are in their infancy. In a way. <laughs> I don't want to think about it too much, but maybe. Um, <laughs> well, let's yeah, let's get back to the song. So um, I would describe this as another one of those uh, where the streets have no names type songs. And what I mean by that is... There's a few of those on here. There are, there are, but this one t- seems to me like the most, the most obvious one that fits this bill. Where it begins and it's got this like swell to it, and then it picks up, and the, but before you know it, it's finished, and you thought, how has nearly five minutes gone when this song has just started, and you carried along and you're interested all the way through, because Streets does that to me every time. And that's what this one does to me. <laughs> yeah, like the, the streets. If if you could bottle the feeling of that, and I and I, th- I would say that streets and wake up are certainly you know obviously in the same kind of sphere. Yeah. Um. But, aiming big but, and hitting big. Yeah, but with with uh, with tunnels, it just it kicks the album off to such a thunderous start. Yes. And I think that's a really long lasting impression because you can. There's a lot of different ways to listen to this album, uh, but the way that you first hear Neighbourhood kick off or, or Tunnels kick off just really kind of moulds the album for you in your mind and and, and uh, it controls how you how you're going to react to it. I think. Yeah it it brings in it brings in a and and it's a, and it's a, there's a difference between listening to individual songs and listening to an album and as an album. Uh, this this really holds together quite well. Yeah, this is, in our old parlance from Review Two Days, this is a flipping album, I would argue, rather than just a collection of songs. Um, you, I don't know about that. Well, maybe we'll come back to it by the time we, we sort of do our summing up. Um, yeah. I, I've often listened to this song and just been really moved by it, and there's a few different reasons why it's why it's so good. You've got um you've got that main sort of motif that's just really really carefully established at the start, or really gently established with the guitar going do 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 or something like that. And that Yeah, and and the fact that that is established in that sort of quiet way and then it gets moving, the beat builds up. It gets really constant, but then by the time you're about three or four minutes in, everything is just kicking off, and that main motif is replaced by a same the same the same melody, but in like a wolf-like howl with all the band doing it at the same time. And at the start, it seemed all mournful, and now it's become this like wild, triumphant thing. It's and that to take a melody and take it on that journey is so interesting to me and so exciting and it's probably so difficult to get recorded properly. Well, you don't ever really get that sense with Arcade Fire because you you just appreciate them as great musicians that you know they, they could have just turned up and jammed this. It feel it feels like they, you are overhearing that sort of thing like you just stick a mic in the room and they'll just work in the magic but I bet it is difficult loose, to record this. It's loose but tight at the same time. Yeah. Um and it's it's weird like I think like we were talking on um the killer's hot fuss how that album still informs how you look at a band and this album still informs how I look at Arcade Fire yeah and and it all it literally all starts here and it's it's got all the elements of a of an absolute great song it's track one and it's got all the elements of a of a great Arcade Fire song 
you know, one that they still play. Yeah. And it's that's incredible that they they got it so right. Right right at the very start. It you know, it's catchy, it's head bobbing. Um you've got conflicting melodies, uh competing melodies maybe that's the best way to say that. And you, you know the the lyrics are somewhat seem maybe you know not 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 too um obscure you know you, you can you can really get into this yeah i, th- I think uh, there's a there's like a hint of a narrative going on here i mean there are characters almost here i mean the whole mm. point of the song seems to be about a a town where it seems like the parents have all gone somewhere i've i've listened to this song a million times and and thought about okay what is there an actual story here and maybe i could i could sit down and try and break it down but it all seems like this almost Lord of the Flies esque world where the the <laughs> the city's been buried under snow, and the, it's just the children that are left here. They grow feral. We let our hair grow long and forget all we used to know. Then our skin gets thicker from living in the snow, and primal. Yeah, yeah, it's very primal. And then you start to think, okay, well, there's maybe a literal story being told here. But then you've got the wider themes. I think in this album of stuff that hurts you makes you can make you stronger if you take it the right way so then our skin gets thicker from living out in the snow that could apply to this whole you know the coldness of losing people that that kind of thing and the wisdom of you know primality i think yeah like the, the there's there's a common sense to the, you know to the primality of it yeah and and a kind of a trust in in other in other children here and that's maybe I think that's where you get a lot of the the primal stuff, like the howling that you get halfway through. That's that's what I'm calling it. Um, in the howling wind. Very impressive. Why didn't they ask Sorry, you to guess? No, it's just Bono. He keeps hanging around. <laughs> um, very. He's made very few appearances on on a review two podcast though. Bono, hasn't he? Um. Well, I mean, I'm not going to do a Bono impression because I'm I'm not. I've, I've, oh no, that wasn't an impression. That was just him. Oh right. Well, he should. He just hangs around here sometimes. Time to go home because he should be. He should be socially distanced, especially at his age. I think him and Ali have fallen out. He's he's writing her a song. Um, we've got here. Um, we've got also Wynn's voice. It's very different quality to the voice that he has these days. So his voice now is a lot more, I would say, thick and more assured and deeper. Whereas there's a sort of innocent younger shrillness to this on this album i mean you know when he's saying that line well whatever happened to them and he's sort of almost squawking it his voice is really cracking with emotion and if 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 i'm being honest i would prefer him to go more back to that to to go back to that sort of voice and that level of production whereas today it does seem a bit safe a lot of the a lot of the well voices voices do change and he's he's probably yeah. gonna do more to like look after his voice and maintain his voice yeah but i was thinking about when when butler like um how you know some people might describe describe him as arrogant or aggressive like there's there's really um yeah you know like when he smashed the camera on the jonathan ross show and all that well bono headbutted um, the camera the, yeah, there'd been an like an argument backstage. You know, like he wasn't getting along with the production crew, so that's why he did it. Really, so I, I think I thought it was a stunt. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's um, and, and that's why Jonathan Ross appears on Reflector as an apology. <laughs> Is that an apology? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like they they felt bad. Oh right, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't think him. it was ever. Yeah, I don't think it was ever directed at 
the insult was wasn't directed at Jonathan Ross. It was directed at you know like production. Can we guys. can we just have a? Cause, I mean, where which track does Jonathan Ross feature on on Reflector? And think about how mad that uh, is. Oh, he starts it off with ladies and gentlemen. Oh, okay, fine. Oh yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, is it Afterlife? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, I do remember. I do remember that now. Yeah. Arcade Fire. I remember the boom, boom, ba boom, boom, ba boom, boom. That's you already know, isn't it? It's um, it's you already know. All oh, right, yeah, okay. I thought it was that one. But I was thinking, like, when I see uh, when Butler now on stage, he's kind of got that Johnny Cash cool about him. You know, yeah. you know he's good. He knows he's good, and he's just gonna he's gonna come out and he's gonna perform the his absolute best for you. You know, there's there's kind of that understanding, and I don't think he's got like a bad boy image anymore. Um, I'm, I'm gonna stick with the description of Johnny Cash cool, and I, I think that's something we should all uh, aim for later. Johnny Cash maybe because we all know Johnny Cash has had his uh, problems with ego and yeah stuff. yeah yeah. Like but later, John, I was watching. Um, Johnny Cash live at Glastonbury '94 yesterday, and it's just—he's so cool. There's like you know, young, really young people in the audience, and they're all just there for a good time and appreciating what he does. Um, so I think there's a, a Johnny Cash style attitude to to Wim Butler now. Um, so it's nice to see him in his more formative years. Yeah, and I think there was a sort of nerdy shyness to him about his younger years, but. I think he's also always just valued the yeah. music a lot, and that's what he really concer- is concerned about, rather than being preening. Anyone that is that good at any craft from such a young age mm. had a nerdy childhood. And I think this this really ties in with a lot of other members. I mean, we'll probably talk about Wim Butler a lot here, but that's really not to do down the the massive contributions by the other members of of the of the band and the ones who write a lot of the songs and. I mean, Richard Reed Parry, he's put, he's usually listed as maybe the third or the second or third person when Arcade Fire talked about. He's an incredible multi-instrumentalist and you'll see him switching through so many different... If you watch a, an Arcade Fire set, he's barely playing the same instrument for sometimes not even a whole song. Um, and this really helps on the first song on this first album because you hear all the different things that are going on. You're thinking, okay, guitar, drums, we've got bass, like the obvious stuff. But then there's violins, there's choruses of people singing. I think they hold a lot back as well. What was that last one? I think I think they hold a lot back. There's a lot of sounds and a lot of variety on yeah. this album, which is not shown in, this, in, the, in the first few songs. Well, I mean, there's not and, an accordion um, solo, thank God. No, no. Are there any Ulian pipes? <laughs> you can say it now. <laughs> no, but I will say it's 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 rare. To... It's, it wasn't a problem in saying it. It was it was recognizing that they were not indeed a fiddle or a violin. Yeah, well, still don't know the distinction. Well, well. Last thing I want to say about this song, anyway, is that um, it's rare that you actually get to think, well, well, check out those xylophones. You know, they're really going for it with those xylophones, and that's a great way to begin this album when you've got a, a huge kind of chorus of of things like that just being really joyful and and that really for me is a good way to sum up this album it's it does have that innocence a lot of the time because 
I mean, xylophone is quite a, a childish instrument, I would say, in a lot of ways, and probably offending lots of um, xylophonophonists there, or whatever the name would be. But um, there we go. There's a line you never you never hear. Who's that girl there? Oh, she's shagging the xylophonist. Yeah, unlikely to hear that. Okay, track two, neighborhood number two, Laika. Yeah. So, do you know where the why the name Laika is important here, Tyler, or what it might be a reference to? Oh, it was the um, it was the name of the uh, the dog on the uh, Russian space program, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, the first living the creature first... to orbit Earth. Yeah, the first living creature to orbit Earth. Yeah, I remember. That. And was also put into the um, the space capsule with the full knowledge that there was there was not going to be the technology or the importance or the care needed to actually bring back the dog. So it's, it's... well, at least the dog knew that. Well, yeah, it was told, and um, they said, yeah, one wolf for, you know, if you want to go, and two wolves for no. <laughs> you, you, you can't say you weren't warned. Poor Laika. Um, I think at least Laika did, was honoured retrospectively with things like like being put on stamps and maybe being awarded some sort of dog medal or something, but it's it's a sad image, and it's a very beguiling image, this idea of... As it floats through space in a tin can full of its own shit. <laughs> well, yeah, there we go. That's the highest honour for... Um... For that dog, <laughs> very sad story, and um, not worth not worth the life of the dog, I would say. But there we go. I, oh, I'd say just wait a few years and make it so it's safe for a human to do it. Maybe not. Like a song, I have to sing. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this song then? Um, it's good. It keeps them. It keeps the movement going. Um, still pretty fast at, the, at this point. Um, in the chorus sections it gets faster as well you know with the our mother should I, bit yeah I think I think it's gonna this is a song you get later on it's not something you're not gonna come back and go oh I need to listen to Laika straight away it's a grower you mean yeah it's a, it's a, it's definitely a grower mm. where I think there's like the just, just going through the research and rereading the story about Laika, and it's just, it's just a nice. I mean, that's that's an awful way to describe the song. Nice, it's um, because it's really powerful and really energetic. And they take that but, um that idea of the the dog going out that reference, and then it gets changed to this story of this kid Alexander, um, our older brother, going out for this yeah. adventure, and then apparently he ends up dying towards the end of it there's a really sinister music video which i tried to watch and follow but i don't think it's honestly meant to be followed in a narrative sense that closely and there's lots of weird references to the soviet union in there so i think this is one of those songs that can apply to lots of different things it's dark it's weird it's sort of shifting and it's this there's quite a lot of mystery about it but the thing that means that it's interesting is that it's done with conviction like when sounds like he's everyone on, who's singing on this sounds like they're fully committed to what's going on here yeah musically uh in a technical sense you can't fault anybody um or anybody uh in in, in well generally the album um but I I think they're the showing another side here. There's a, a few discordant sections where they seem to yeah. you know really let let loose a little bit, and uh, just in case you were being lulled into a false sense of secu- security or beginning to feel safe with this album, it's like 
you, you you've got a you got a bit of a journey to go yet because they're, they're going to test you and see if you you really like this and and i think that you know as alexander is being sent out on this adventure arcade fire are also going out on an adventure because they're not really holding anything back on this album they're, they're really going for it and they're telling you who they are and what they do and how they perform and what they sound like and uh, you've kind of just got to deal with it and that's why they sound so different to a lot of the music that was going on and particularly that chart that we had before i mean this begins with a really insistent drum beat and then what i hear is an accordion which is you know not the not the most rock and roll of instruments but it it really works here as soon as you hear that and you're familiar with this album you're you're getting up for the song that along with the yeah. with the kind of plinkety plonkety um starry quality of the rest of it is it's great but then like you said it, it shifts up halfway through and gets really choppy and the vocals start stop being sung by regime they start being sort of shouted by regime which is weird yeah um do you feel there's a connection obviously neighborhood one and two do you feel there's a uh, a connection theme um i actually kind of find it a bit tedious because um <laughs> like to me yes there might be connections but if you if there isn't a clear three-part trilogy or whatever that you're doing here i do see these how many are there far five parts in this four four, four parts yeah but then like if I just i don't i don't i think either either call the album neighborhood right and then track one tunnels track two Lyca. Or or don't bother with all this neighborhood stuff because you've got um Unani Saint Lumiere next, which isn't part of that. So then that just sort of messes up the ordering. Like I I don't understand what's gained by doing that really. Unless someone can tell me there's a really specific narrative that's being that has to be told in this order and I would say it's somewhat unique. I'm not saying no one's ever done it before, but when I first came across this as a it's weird. fourteen, fifteen year old boy. It's like oh, okay, there's something different going on, but did it, did it did it matter to me that much? No. Did I always call power out power out? Yes. Yeah. Did exactly. I always call tunnels tunnels? Yes. Did I ever call like a like a no? Because I never listened to it. <laughs> like you know, like like that that was if I was going to the album, I was gonna you know put on Crown of Love or Wake Up. I was gonna put on um, one of the songs that I really liked. But if I was just listening to the album, no, like I never got a never really got a, a mention well yeah and to me brackets should never be the 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 thing that is the additional bit so if i come up to you and say hey i really like um arcade fire but my favorite song is neighborhood three and you're like well that's not what is that track three like, no no that's not track three of course it isn't i mean don't you don't you know what no. neighborhood three is why don't you just say power out it's literally the thing that he's shouting about all the way through it and genuinely, the thing that annoys me the most about uh, Neighbourhood is it's spelt wrong. Well, not for Canada. Well, yeah. Um, they, they they speak English. And, uh, you know, we've got a whole big dictionary full of words there. <laughs> and um, it's there to be read. That's all I'm saying. Well, well I, won't, I won't let you know what they've done to the word centre then, or colour. Um, so anything else you want to say about, about Leica? No, uh, do you no, like it more uh, now? Uh, I, I like it as part of the album, but it's not a song I go to. Oh. And and when I when I put it on, uh, tunnels and then like it, yeah, it's just I'm I'm in the mood for it. Yeah, I think much more in the mood uh, for this than 
a song that's coming very soon. Is is that the next one? Ah, it's here. So, uh, Une année sans lumière, which is a year without light. Um, yep. And actually, this is one thing that I meant to mention earlier. Because of the whole... I know people often come to podcasts for an escape from the whole COVID thing that's going on at the moment. But this is... What's this now? <laughs> well, I've, I've got some news for you. Um, Go on. Well, some of the songs on this album seem not just the obvious thing that, you know, there's a lot of a lot of illness and death around and that's it relates to funeral. But the whole idea of everything being quiet and abandoned, like in Tunnels, for example, where everything's quiet and abandoned. I just started seeing all of these all of these connections between which are obviously unplanned but you know you've, you've got lines here about there being no one else around and like the the more you listen to this it, it's more like there's unconscious connections a bit like how when um 9-11 happened suddenly all oh, you can't leave behind songs on there took on a different sort of energy i think this is a song that it sounds different this year a year without light i mean for a lot of people that's that's really true this has been a, a, a i mean 2020 is a write-off isn't it in a lot of respects yeah it's uh it's uh it's not going well it's not going well no, exactly and i think that's why I've, I've i mean i wouldn't say enjoyed but i found it interesting to listen to um to this but well maybe we'll pick up on some other connections later on um, this is this is like a lot of the best Arcade Fire songs, particularly on this album or in the early stages of the career. It's a song of two halves, so it's got a particular energy to it, but then ends up somewhere totally different. So it starts off very quiet with this almost sultry, half French, half English lyrics, and then but by the end of it, it's it's a totally different song. But you're not a fan. No, uh, muddy bassline, um, <laughs> and and I feel like the song is generally getting in the way of the I album. I thought you were talking about a blues musician um, that had guested on it. Then what muddy bassline? Yeah. No, uh, he's on uh, reflect. No, I think he's on reflector. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I'm not convinced by the build up, and the lyrics are quite lazy. And I could just generally you know that, that's, do without it's it. It's French for the speaking. It's not just lazy English. There's actually. You know, there are, there are words that are lazy. What do you mean lazy? It's just lazy melody, isn't it? Oh, I love it. I, I think it's it's it fits the the voices so well as well. And there's um, it's weird imagery I, here just, as well. Uh, I, I, I can do without it, um, but you know, it, it gets listened to when uh, listen to the whole album. Um, next track, also a single. Wow. Neighborhood three power out. You really gave short shrift to uh, a year without light, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we spent long longer listening to that track than we did talking about it. But okay, fine. Let's go, let's move on to power out then. Power out released May twenty third two thousand and five. The single peaked at number twenty six on the UK singles chart, and it remained on the chart for a further two weeks. Arcade Fire won the 2006 Juno Award for Songwriter of the Year for Neighbourhood 3 Power Out, along with two other tracks from Funeral. The song's music video was nominated for Video of the Year. And just for a little bit of extra information, the song was inspired by the North American Ice Storm of 1998 in Montreal, which left the city in a blackout for over a week. So that's where this maybe the seed of this idea comes from, but then 
obviously put into this musical format and given all the imaginary stuff that's to do with the this i mean to be fair the neighborhood stuff does make sense in terms of there being these repeated motifs of children trying to find light or trying to find some sort of order in their society that's been that's been lost somehow so that that makes sense it's a weird strange um trip of a song though yeah it's great i mean i think it's mis misnamed it should be called powerhouse because it is a powerhouse and uh my god it just it still kicks ass i remember a few years ago uh going watching um catfish and the bottlemen okay and on the way to the gig we put this on in the car well that's bad not that's me bad preparation because you've you've peaked too soon there <laughs> No, because it really got us in the mood because this was before we'd had anything to drink. So it was Arcade Fire, drinks, Catfish and the Bottle Man. Yeah, all downhill. Great. We we have to do the debut album as well <laughs> at some point. Well, maybe I'll edit that out or maybe I won't. Um, yeah, so this is a, a, a powerhouse of a song. It's one of those songs I like because it's got a repetition that even though it's the same thing happening, it, it happens with different chord changes going in the, in the background. So there's this... There's this squealing guitar that's going do 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 do, and it, it it that stays the same, that stays constant, but everything around it shifts, and that makes that sound new and interesting. And that's one of my favourite things about this. Also, that um that riff that happens halfway through, it's almost Rage Against the Machine, like you know the do 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 do. It's yes, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. And I mean, it's a good comparison and that, that happening to be able to say this bit sounds like rage against a machine oh wait and then the accordion starts that's an odd thing to be able to say about a record and it still sound good no I, I i completely agree there's a very rough performance of this song on on <laughs> jules holland which i had a look at they've got better since i think then. i've seen it recently yeah. yeah i mean it's exciting because they're they're so raw but it's it's not the most accomplished of performances but then Maybe that suits. I mean, a lot of the time when you see Arcade Fire live, you'll see there'll be an incredibly focused and competent violinist and then a man wearing a crash helmet hitting himself over the head with a, a drumstick right next to him. Oh, you've made me forget the violinist's name. Um, the violinist's name could be... Yeah. Oh, it's a race now. Is it Sarah New- Newfield? Yes, Sarah Newfield. Yeah. Oh, amazing! Oh, amazing! Oh, I um, when when we saw when myself and my brother saw them in Blackpool for the Reflector tour, like we we were just kids in a candy store because it was it's one of the few bands that we actually both really enjoy, Mm. and I really fancy uh, Regine or Regini, and um, my brother. Uh, really liked Sarah Newfield Um, so it was kind of nice for the four of us just to be the shame that a couple of other thousand people turned up as well yeah I'm sure they they found that was a really special evening for them as well they were like oh my god the Tyler brothers are here (laughs) yeah they probably did say that but in in a different tone (laughs) more restraining ordinary sort of way right so other things that I think make this seem I don't know. I might just be reaching here, or it might just be because we're right still thwack band in, bang in the middle of this crisis. But there's a lot of 
lyrics that are all about finding finding the light and making sure that you can make something positive from something that's bad so when we've got at the end and the power's out in the heart of man take it from your heart put it in your hand and there's something wrong in the heart of man take it from your heart put it in your hand that seems like a really i don't know just a really good way of summing up that if there is something wrong you need to take the the anger and the passion that's that's causing that and put it in your hand like turn it into something useful put it into action rather than just just wallowing yeah. in the sadness of that you could almost say it politically i think you could do a political read of well i'd say it applies at the moment to things like black lives matter for example i mean if that's not again too big of a reach but it's that same energy you can you can take something that is a deep injustice and turn it into something actionable that will that will hopefully change things for the better yeah so. i think it's uh it's a great song and it's you know the lyrics are also slightly ambiguous oh yeah um so it's not just a political rocker it's um but a lot of the really good arcade fire you, you songs, can find your own meaning for it the, yeah a lot of the the really good ones those and it and it can just be a good song yeah some songs can just be good songs i mean our reviews are gonna get pretty short if we just go this was a good song this was that was a good song this is an excellent some people song. some people might think this is a good song <laughs> um but I, I think some of the best arcade fire songs across the career are ones that you can imagine not a riot, but a rebellion happening to, or a protest happening to. And maybe I'm just thinking about, you know, the rebellion video, and you know, yeah, yeah. walking down the streets, banging a drum in the in the most positive sort of way of saying we're not going to take this, or this needs to change in a good sort of way. I think Power Out's a bit like that, and there's definitely songs later on in the career that that do make me still feel like that. Even something like Creature Comforts makes me feel that kind of energy, but in a different sort of way. Yeah. Uh, again, I want to mention uh, that there's there's chaotic clashing melodies in this song: uh, xylophone versus violins versus synths and guitars. Um, it's driving music. I think it, it's a it's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. What a statement this album has been so far. Well, you, for, for you've a, not agreed with half a, of the a statements. debuting band. Well, no, I, 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 track three is the only misstep for me so far. Oh, I, I, I love that one. It's more of a, a waltz than a misstep. Um, okay, should we move on to uh, part four of the Neighbourhood Quadrilogy? Seven Kettles. All right. That's a confusing <laughs> title, isn't it? Neighbourhood hashtag four, seven kettles. That could be um, the nickname of your mum and dad's house. Because I... <laughs> Don't know. I've never done a, a, a kettle census in your mum and dad's house, but I reckon you could find seven kettles at least in your Quite house. Quite possibly. They wouldn't all be in working order, but then why, th no, why throw not. out a kettle when you can leave it broken in your house for 20 years? <laughs> Everyone needs a broken kettle at some point in the next three <laughs> decades. Anyway. Um, if, if I was to say that one thing annoys me about this song, what would you say it was... Um, do, 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 do. I'm just trying to remember it. Um, I don't know. I I I love this song. I'm about. I'm ready to gush on it. So I don't know. Is it maybe the little little woo that he gives after um the verses? No, it's um the 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 hand on the fretboard noises. Oh, I like that. You know the hand. It just Humanizes uh, bothers it. me. 
No, it bothers me because I've got so used to hearing it that I know exactly what's going to happen. And obviously, that you know that wouldn't happen if someone was just playing. So he's gone for the effect of someone playing it there right in front of you live. But because I've got to know the album so much, I know it too well, and I you know it distracts from the fact. So you, you sort of feel like it's it's, it's too in it's trying to sound it's authentic. Too imperfect. Yeah, it's too imperfect to be off and off that. Speaking of which, um, so what do you think? <laughs> um, well, I, I think I've written here that this is a really well-paced album because I think this is a perfect time. You couldn't follow Power Out with Rebellion. It would literally cost lives. There would be too much energy there because those are the two songs on the album or, or Wake Up. You would exhaust people. So after Power Out, um, this is the best song to to listen to, I think. I... I, I, there's some sort of weird like sinister folktale going on in it so it says all the neighbors i mean you can be forgiven for mistaking this for a nice happy little song I mean, it says all the neighbors starting up the fire burning all the old folks the witches and the liars so there's almost this <laughs> sinister village mentality that's going on but it also seems quite relatable in in a lot of the other parts of the song so he says he goes back to this old adage. They say a watch pot won't ever boil. Well, I close my eyes and nothing changes. Just some water getting hotter in the flames. So I, I like that because he's taking familiar familiar old wives' tales type statements. And to me, they're implying them to... It's, they're using them to talk about loss. You know, the, the whole watch pot won't ever boil. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some lazy lyrics here. That's um, not what I'm saying. And I don't think... It, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm saying, like, if I sang this line to somebody, they say a watch part will never, and then didn't sing that bit, I think you would sing Boyle yeah. without ever having heard the song. And uh, this is a song that, uh, an album I would I would often sing to myself, and I have a. This is mental now. Uh, I have a memory of me like somewhat singing to myself in electronics at high school, and it was an arcade fire song. And they got the next line, and I was like, I was sure this person hadn't heard the song, and I was really confused as to why they'd guessed the next line. And I, I think that when Butler just has this thing of knowing what most people would say. You know, after the next line, and I, th- I think, I think it's a talent, but it's um, something I've noticed in my own life, which is which bothers me. Yeah, but I think, I think here he's quoting something well known to turn it on its head or to reinterpret it a little yeah, bit. I think. Yeah, I think, I think the line uh, "watching through the skin of my eyelids" is something very Bono, like. It's a very memorable line. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does yeah. have a sort of. Um, I mean, and there are some things which have a little bit of a Bono flavor to them here, but they're singing about loss and love and you know big ideas essentially. So there's going to be some overlap, obviously. At four forty nine, though, it stays it's welcome big time. I, I don't, I, I don't find that. Maybe I've got more time for this this style of arcade fire stuff. I will say there's there's a kettle sound at two minutes forty, which I think is unnecessarily <laughs> on the nose. Just one of them. Just one of them. Yeah, just one kettle. Oh well, Damn. maybe maybe there's more, and they're they're doing some sort of harmonising. But it's just I think if you've got a song called Kettles, you don't need the kettle sound actually in there necessarily. 
there's a there's (laughs) there's a there's a gospel feel to it as well i would say here but it's but it doesn't seem like it's particularly religious in its in its tone so he says here it's not a lover i want no more and it's not heaven i'm pining for but the maybe it's him a hymn more a hymn than a gospel well yeah but but just explicitly here he says it's not heaven i'm pining for but there's some spirit i used to know that's been drowned out by the radio i really like that that group of lines though because he's saying right i'm not after romantic love and i'm not wanting that straightforward religious solution to everything but there's a spirit there's something that's been lost in our modern world that's been drowned out by this buzz of the radio and i think by the radio he means the media in general and post you know 2004 media's just got noisier and noisier i mean if he'd been drowned out by the radio now think of how noisy everything is now and how no one can really communicate properly in in a lot of ways like we're all we're all just shouting into this void and just hearing like our own echo and not really anything else um should we move on to the next track track number six crown of love and this is the time when i actually get a little bit critical of the album here because it is four minutes 42 and i don't really like the croonerish tone that butler's got and i think it's also a pretty awful title so it's not got that much going for it this song for me it has two things that stop it being slow and dreary for me and that's the piano and the drums it's like it keeps the album in the fight it's still building to something you know, and, and the line, if you still love me, please forgive me. It's got such power to it. That. Yeah, it's got a nice, um, it, that is a nice line. And there's a nice sort of sweep of the, you know, the strings um, along with it. But it just, it, it, it feels like it's, I think the tempo, it goes from like something like a waltz or something, which has never been a tempo that appeals to me. That, you know, sort of ballroomy kind of tempo. I don't know if that's mm. right technically musically, but I don't like the tempo of it. And then there's this change later on where the the strings start to become almost you know, like a, almost like psycho with the like me 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 later on. Yeah. And to me, this feels like it feels a bit forced. Whereas other songs where you have this tempo change, like the one coming up, and also like um, track three earlier on, I think they earned that that dramatic change of tempo whereas here it just sort of picks up and becomes quite chaotic and i think what no but this this kind of feeds into the um johnny cash kind of feeling i was having because i can imagine like doing a cover no when when they're older performing crown of love yeah and maybe arcade fire won't be together but i Hopefully, Regine and and Wynn will <laughs> be together, and you know, like they have that old June and Johnny Cash style uh, stage performance, and I, so I kind of, I, I kind of want to see this in about fifty years. Yeah, I'll I'll take it again in fifty years, but it's just the low point of the album for me. And on paper, it's doing a lot of things that other tracks do, but just not doing them as well. And maybe this is where if you are doing something as earnest and emotional as this album, if it doesn't connect, and obviously there'll be loads of people for whom this actually does make a great connection, but it just doesn't for me. And by the time that the the violins start going crackers, I'm just, no, I'm I'm all right, I'm done. 
You don't like the violins going crackers? No. I stand by that. Okay, then. Track seven. Wake Up, 5 minutes 39, released on November the 14th, 2005. It is probably Arcade Fire's most successful or well-known song. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And it, in 2009, NME ranked Wake Up as the 25th best song of the 2000s. Mm. Uh, and in 2014, ranked Wake Up as the 25th greatest song of all time. Wow, so, high accolades. Uh, yeah, um, uh, a song that I think if if you've come to Arcade Fire from U2, then this this may be the song that introduced you to the band, and I think it's done a really good job. And I think I said earlier, it's still got the excitement that it had mm. then, and it's kind of like where the streets have no name. It has this quality to it which just stops you from um, ever getting over it. Yeah, it's it's endlessly sort of euphoric, and you can see why. If you watch the live from Chicago DVD, you can see why they picked it because the crowd are so ready for the lights to go off and everyone, everyone, you know, to be said. It's it's that it's that repetitive music though that gets you in the mood for it. Yeah, you know? it gets you hyped. And up. it's got a similar to a lot of U two songs. It's got an almost religious gathering quality to it or maybe even a football like quality to it because this song doesn't really have a chorus it has a wordless cry and that's the thing that fires up the crowds and it's often it's been used by football clubs as well i can't remember exactly who but it's actually been used you know as the official song of football clubs and i mean i'm not someone who goes watching football personally but official song of what sorry football clubs like a, a, I can't remember who it is exactly, but someone has one of the one of the clubs, one of the big clubs, either the Reds or the Blues or whatever. They've got this as um, right. the thing that they use to fire up the crowd. Well, fair enough. That's what it was designed for, yeah. I think. Um, this is it, we always struggle when it's these great songs because we it's like we can't we we assume everything's been said. Well, um. I mean, I've got th- I've got some things to to go on about, but it is it's difficult approaching a song like this because you just think, surely everyone has experienced this same feeling that I had when I first started listening to this album, because this would be one of the ones that on a first listen, when you've totally new to Arcade Fire, when they're brand new and fresh out the bag, you would go back to constantly. That would be the one you'd keep putting on, and the one you'd show to mates as well yeah. and say, just list listen to this now. Yeah, like uh, Ziggurat had uh, Poppy Oh Hollow yeah, yeah. Around the same time, and that was very much the same uh, kind of vibe. Yeah, although I would say um, overall far less consistent Ziggurat. Yeah, I could never get into Ziggurat as much as Arcade Fire. Beyond a couple of songs, yeah, I, I found them a bit a bit tedious in a lot of ways as well, actually. Um, so let's let's have a look at some lines then. So something filled up my heart with nothing. Somebody told me not to cry. But now that I'm older, my heart's colder and I can see that it's a lie. I mean, that's a very, it's a very good time to be listening to Arcade Fire for us in, in a sort of college-y, teenager-y type of era in your life because you've got people putting you in particular positions or saying that this is a thing you need to believe in. And even as a teenager, you can think, well, now I'm a little bit more mature. I can look back on the things I was told previously and say that was 
wrong or it was a lie and I've got some experience but yeah it's, it's weird there's like cycles of feeling and different layers of maturity because when you listen to this song you're hearing the 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 line but now that I'm older my heart's colder and I never listened to that line without considering like okay am I am I a bit colder in some ways now I've got now I've got older and it's well how do you answer that yeah I think I think that there's there's a line in the in the song um oh mind blank completely we could come back to uh, it if you want or no the, the, the summer line turn the summer into rust or dust yes right so th- i think when you first notice that you know the summers aren't built to last like when you're a, a, a child um i'm not sure how long the summer holidays are in the, in the us or other parts of the world but traditionally in the uk it's six weeks and though when you're really young and you this six this six weeks of holiday just seems like an infinite amount of time mm. and a really mad and a really magical time and i think there's something about getting to the age where you realize you know six weeks isn't that long you know it is finite and i think there's something about that and about that realization that wakes you up to a certain maturity and that that's what i always think about with this song and that's something that isn't always guaranteed in growing up that you become more mature in certain ways because as he's saying here he's saying if the children don't grow up our bodies get bigger but our hearts get torn up so there's i mean it's it takes you back to that stay a child somewhere in your heart line from from bono that there's no complete correlation between age and maturity or being happy no, I and I think I I can access the uh, younger versions of me when when needed to, and I can act more mature than I am, you know, when 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 I need to. But th- this song is a for me speaks to those early ideas of oh, you know, six six weeks of summer isn't actually that long, and I and I remember one I uh, just. Stayed in my room for six weeks playing a, a video game. <laughs> what video um, game? And that that that's it. Uh, it was WrestleMania two thousand on the N sixty four. And um, yeah, I I feel like that was a very long holiday. Curtains curtains drawn, and uh, sat there playing I mean, the game. That, I mean, I bet some people have had that kind of experience over the last few few months with lockdown. It's a it's an album for lockdown. This. My uh, my tip would be to open the windows. Experience the passing of the sun. <laughs> the passing of the sun as your fingers pass across an N sixty four pad. Calluses. Yeah, well, old. Strange, strangely enough, the last the last play uh, the last game I played, like immediately when it came out, was uh, and and all the way through, by the way, was uh, the Last of Us. Oh yeah. Um. So. Um, I might, I might do the Last of Us too, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I felt the first one before I bought it, and, and now I don't, I don't really feel like diving back into that world just yet. Well, maybe, maybe you'll get there. Um, one of the things that I think's great about this song, though, is it does that, you know, the sections ideas, and there's totally different parts of the song, almost, almost different songs that have not been, that have been put together, but put together really skillfully. So. Yeah, I think it's only four or five chords. In to- yeah, in total. It's not 
complex and it's not actually that long considering it's got so many different things going on in it it's only you know not even six minutes and the the main part of the start is all to do with catharsis isn't it it's all to do with this huge monumental slow drum and then this big cry that everyone has and it, and unlike streets it builds people into an absolute frenzy it does but unlike streets there's a, the the catharsis doesn't sort of finish at the end and then that's it there's this huge moment in the center of it you know when it all builds up and then after that moment it there's dancing you know that bass line would sound so hokey if it was the intro to a a song you know the do 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 do, do. it's basically motown that sort of riff but that works so yeah. well after that because after you've had that journey then you've got the dancing which I just think is a great on this on this song. Wake up, or where the streets have no name. Uh, where the streets have no name. But okay, you know, different horses for different courses. Got a few of these U two questions for you as we go through. Well, I mean, U two are pretty much always going to trump whatever other band um, have got, but it depends what mood you're in. Everything is context. Certainly, I've never seen this song performed live, and not really gone for it. And I think streets once or twice i just thought yeah but particularly at 360 i thought streets was a yeah, bit but it's saturation isn't it and once you've seen streets yeah I streets suppose. at potmar and streets at boston you've got such a high bar to clear haven't you you really do you really do so should we move on to haiti hi johnny oh i see haiti my my customary customary greeting to tyler um well, I'll move from that uh, playful bit of wordplay to uh, the uh, genocide of Haiti. I mean, that's that's a, what a what a link we'll make here. Um, so, um, Regine wrote this about her Haitian roots and the fact that I mean, I'm not going to give you a history lesson here, but let's just say the the regime that was under Duvalier in Haiti was very repressive, murdered lots and lots of people, and this song is about celebrating those people and the fact that their spirit sort of still lives on even though regime was was born and raised in canada she still respects that heritage and wants to write a song that's that memorializes those people in in and i think it does so in such a beautiful way yeah she um identifies herself as a member of the band she gives the band you know a new image here because it it's about something close to her heart yeah and i don't really think we get that experience with anybody else any other member of the band on this album yeah although i guess it still fits into that whole um funeral theme that goes through the, the whole album it talks about um putting her ashes into this putting her ashes into the sea maybe as a kind of return to where she feels her spiritual roots are she... mm. but it's um this is my favorite baseline of the whole album by a long stretch i just really like how how simple it is but how it just goes round and round um in that and again competing melodies yeah it's like a band dueling each other but you've got so much talent that that's why they're good enough to to realize that works perfectly to offset something else i remember playing this song a few times 
when I first got funeral, it was around the time when my my dad was uh, giving me lifts quite a lot. So it was in that it was in that about twenty year short space of time when my dad was giving me lifts everywhere. And um, didn't didn't you just turn thirty two? <laughs> but well, perhaps probably longer than that then. Um, but I remember. I would say a span of about fifty years. Give yourselves eight. Give yourself eighteen years to you know get a car. You lazy well, kid. Long it continue. But I remember after only a couple of times of putting this on in the car, my dad would be whistling or humming this around the the house. You know the main the main melody bit. It was it's so catchy. Yeah, like I I like it when my dad will come up to me and like you know he'll be like, "What's that tune?" and he'll hum something to me and I'll recognize it as something I like. But then I almost don't want to tell him because I know he'll sing it on karaoke. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be doing Haiti on um, karaoke. I'd love to see what the pub would make of that, but you know. Um, I I I don't. I uh, pure embarrassment when my dad gets up on a microphone and sings. Well, we'll all get there eventually, I'm sure. But uh, that's because I have a rebellious spirit. There's no lie there. Uh, so track nine, uh, Rebellion, Lies, 5 Minutes 10, released on September the 12th, 2005. Single peaked at number 19 on the UK singles chart. The band's best performance on the chart to date. I don't know if that's true or if, it's, true if it was just true when it was written. Or indeed if it wasn't true then. Um, it seems, um, Well, it is it is a catchy one and it's one that is a little bit more radio friendly, I guess, in some respects than a lot of their other other stuff. One of the later singles, so people have had time to, if they've not bought the album, get to know Arcade Fire and a few of the songs mm. first. So interesting that, you know, it's almost a year later, well, over a year later, and, uh, um, you know, it's performing so well. Um, but I think this is back to the the power of the, of the album. Um, it's important to actually listen to the whole song and and uh, and this is true of a lot of the songs because you, you get the nice blendings. This is a a good album as a as a whole piece rather than uh, ten independent songs. They they blend they'd, from they'd like to bleed yeah, into each that, other. You're talking about the blend from Haiti into Rebellion. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's lovely that, and you can and you you do travel across a, a you know a, a sort of sonic landscape that that's ever changing here. I'm not a fan of the kettle whistling, obviously, in the song Kettles, but I was a fan of the waves and the kind of crashing sound that you get at the start of Haiti, then this flows into Rebellion. And it feels a little bit like you... I know that they're different songs and they've got different meanings, but there's so much sadness in Haiti and so many quite disturbing images in there. But then you move into this song and it feels like the most positive kind of Rebellion. It feels like it's got energy. You can see why in the video they were all stomping down the street with drums. Yes, absolutely. Not um, as well that video though. It, 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 no, it's it's done really well though. Um, lots of different magazines and websites naming it as uh, twenty nine in list of greatest Indian uh, Indian anthems ever. Uh, it was um, number sixty nine on Pitchfork's top five hundred tracks of the two thousands. Mm. Um, it's uh, it uh, NME ranked the song as the ninth best of the two thousands, and in October two thousand and eleven, they named it the second 
uh, named it second uh, in the list of 150 greatest songs from the past 15 years. Well, when years. people do sift back through the 2000s and try to say, okay, what were our classics? What were the ones that are not just catchy, but have stood the test of time? I think this will, and bring you back to a certain place, I think this will be one. Imagine being a 14-year-old and listening to this now. Well, uh, yeah. You know, and having and having like 20 years worth of stuff to to go through and digest and I think it, I think it'd still be a really interesting album to to listen but, to. What now. I think is interesting about this album is you don't really know necessarily what stance Win Butler is taking. So I've I've read things about him saying that this song is where he he's taking on that childhood sort of persona that's been used in a lot of the other songs, but he's doing it in an almost petulant way now. So on this song, he's talking about the things that parents tell you, like you need to go to bed, you need to sleep. But then the kid's perspective is sleeping is giving in no matter what the time is. So I'm never going to bed. So it's 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 interesting to think about what persona is being is being got at in this song. Is it meant to be him as a, an adult or is he sort of mimicking a child? Because it is quite childish in a lot of ways. This song, and I mean that in a in a in a fairly, fairly neutral sense. It's got. A big pounding yeah. There's quality. a child, a childlike fear. I, w- I don't want to call it a childish fear, but there's a childlike yeah. fear of the boogeyman, not the boogeyman, the boogeyman. <laughs> the boogeyman's quite different. Uh, he's got a few disco balls himself, um, but it it's got that uh, horror story feel to it, you know. And a, a name like funeral, you've got this this specter of death around the whole thing, and I, I like it. It's dark. It's moody. It's almost emo, actually. Oh, God. Well, I'm sure they wouldn't be happy with that that label. Probably not. But there are there are those sorts um, of things. But I would like to I'd like to return to a recurring the- feature here on uh, Tummel. Uh Sophie Ellis Baxter, a British pop singer it. known it, known in the early 2000s for a couple of songs, did release a cover of uh, Rebellion Lies wow. uh, in support of Songs to Save oh, a I Life, know. a benefit no, project in aid of the Samaritans. Okay, well, fine. Obviously, that's good. Uh, that, that's fine. But I'm, and I've not heard the version. But I just don't think the world was crying out for that. But fair enough. She's well, done a time. Well, well, we'll do we'll do a little Monty Python break, and we'll come back with Sophie Ellis Baxter and Rebellion Lies. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Monty Python. So I've been able to locate this song, and we've got Sophie Ellis-Baxter, Rebellion, Brackets, Lies. So I will just pipe some of that in in the background. I will say this, her voice is still good from what I'm listening to. Her voice is good, but then she's she's got a pretty decent voice. But it's not a very good cover in my opinion, so it doesn't really do anything interesting or engaging it's 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 like hearing a you know one of those backing tracks on karaoke where they've tried to replicate a particular effect from a band and you think that's that's not quite right i know what you're going for but <laughs> that's not how the edge of slash sounds um so good cause pointless cover i would say what, what do you think about it uh i i it was about what i expected um Yeah, it wasn't going to make waves, was it? No, no. And if it made some sort of contribution to other people's well-being, that's great. But I won't be hot-footing it back to YouTube to listen to it 
always valuable to know how another artist envisions uh, a piece of art. Well, so. I'd say in this case, broadly the same, but worse. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get to In the Back Seat, which oh, well, is... What have you got planned? Uh, you know, well, boy. I'm not... You're going to drive me out to Makeout Creek, well, are you? this does... I mean, I wouldn't be able to drive you out to uh, to anywhere because this this song's like speaks to me on an autobiographical level, right? So if you'll indulge me for a sec, I've always been around people who find driving very easy. They just naturally take to it, like duck to water, that kind of thing. I learned how to drive, and then I went to live in Manchester, where a car was basically pointless for moving back into university. And I've essentially got to the point where I have a license, I've passed, but if you put me in a car now, I would feel quite terrified at the prospect of being on the actual road in charge of a of a large hunk of metal that could kill people quite easily. So I've got this feeling... It's a weapon. It's a lethal well, weapon. Well, yeah, in the wrong hands it definitely is. And the other thing, not to, not to harp on about this, but my understanding was that people learned how to drive and then they would follow the rules on the road. Whereas that seems to be that you learn all the rules in your tests, so you never have to follow them in practice. So the people, a lot of the people on the road will just be, you've just got to sort of intuit or know, oh, they're going to do something technically wrong now. And I've got to make sure I adjust myself to that because I'm stupid enough to be driving by the rules. Review 2 and Tummel listeners are encouraged to listen to our podcast on the bus. Well, yeah, which is which is good for... Um, you know, it's, it's better for the ecology as well. It's better if people have um, fewer fewer cars on the road. But anyway, this is a laborious way to say that I get what regime's going on about here in this song because there is a peaceful quality in the back seat, or at least not being in the driver's seat, where you can contemplate things and think about them in a in a different sort of way. Yeah, but the the going for it, hammer and tongs, aren't they? What what on this song? Yeah, I, I, it's underrated and it's so yeah, I'd say this is this has been my top, there's, there's top three drama. of this album. Definitely, it's it's incredible. This song, yeah, there's drama, energy, talent, and and that's a big deal because this is Arcade Fire stepping out, and you know, and they're, well, they're they're actually quite restrained in this, but they're saying, "Beat this, guys! This is how good we are when we're playing at our best," and it's it's a tremendous statement from a from a debuting band. Yeah, and the the beginning is quite calm and restrained at the start. You've just got very light piano and Regine's voice at quite a low tempo. But then there's there's so much heart put into lines. And I love a pronunciation of, of lines like my family tree's losing all its leaves. Now that to me is just a perfectly formed lyric for them. They don't feel, they don't feel like they're out of ideas. They don't feel like you know the, these ten tracks have been a struggle for them. No, not at all. And and there's a lot to go on here. And there's so much triumph at that that ending. It's th- that that ending is the, is the the best place on the album to make me actually start feeling like emotional and tearing up when she just goes for it and is wailing. Yeah, great song and um, very autobiographical as well. Um, from what I understand, her dad, sorry, not her dad, her mum is Alice. When she says Alice died in the night, I've been learning how to drive my whole life. There's that idea of losing a parent and then you've got to step up and maybe you'll have to start being the one driving things. You can't be sat in the back seat all, all your life. And it's, 
it's, it, there's so many ideas from so few words when you actually look at the lyrics on the page and so much depth. Lot, a lot of identity gained by Regine's two songs. On yeah, this. she's she's got the the kind of bonus that she's got fewer songs that are purely her or focused on her, but they're absolute bangers. She's she's absolutely phenomenal. She really is. Yeah, it'd be nice to see. I mean, I know she contributes a massive amount anyway, but just because her songs are so good, maybe maybe more of her in the future. I don't know. There's there's not been a Regine led track uh, on a couple of albums. Um, I don't think. Might have been on the last one, because I remember singing it live. Electric Blue. Oh, my God. So good. So good. Uh, better than Shadows and Tall Trees. <laughs> Quite comfortably, yes. I mean, this is a this is a stronger album than Boy. Like It's my personal enjoyment and nostalgia and everything else aside. This is a stronger and more consistent record, I would say, than, than, than Boy. Well, well, that was my next question. Really, is it is it better than Boy? And I think it probably is better than Boy, and it stands out better than Boy, and it's uh, more of a statement. But than Boy to be was. fair, they um, they they wrote this at a later point in their life when they achieved some sort of musical maturity that was. I mean, they're young here, but not as young as 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 Bono and the Boys back in the day. So I I think that's fair to say. That, that's true. Um, also, just and you you mentioned at the start. Like, um, there's often a criticism of Arcade Fire mirroring U2's yep. career. How true do you think that necessarily is? I think if you paint it in broad terms, it, it, it makes sense. So there is a sort of earnest an earnestness to them when they start and then they achieve a mainstream success as they did with Joshua Tree. Then there is a necessary irony thicket that they negotiate well at some points with Reflector. Um, and poorly at other points like everything now in my opinion so i think there's a sort of broad very broad framework but the problem is once you start looking at anything like that a little bit closer it, it falls down i mean you could do the same thing with coldplay to an extent yeah i think they lend um and borrow from you too but not necessarily in the same order uh, i don't feel like they're following the same career path i feel like the the lending from you two successes uh, in a lot of ways, and if the last tour was ending to go by, long may it rain. Well, I think they need to. I think they they could stand to reinvent themselves a little bit more. I, I think I, they can't plumb this irony and disco vibe any longer. I don't think. Um, are you familiar with uh, Arcade Fire and David Bowie teaming up to perform? Um, yeah, it was Wake good. It was, an, it was a nice, nice performance. Uh, very, very iconic. Nice that he's paying his dues back in a certain way. I mean. Bowie was definitely not finished by that point by any stretch, but it was one of his one of his last. But he wasn't finished musically, if you see what I mean. He was still a kind of force. No, but no. I think he, that's a that's a purposeful, you know, saying these are the new generation and this is who I, as the elder statesman, I'm going to hand over my credibility to these guys. Yeah, really loving. I still really loving David Bowie's. Um, I think it's his second to last album. Uh, it's the one with the stars are out tonight, and uh, I, I think that's just incredible. And I think you know that they'll continue to lend from people like David Bowie and 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 you two. And, and and why wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I, I think they've got a good they've got a good blend of doing their own thing and understanding what what is interesting. <laughs> the next day is the title of that um, David Bowie album. Which I'm very, very taken by. Oh, good. Oh, can I mention something while we're while we're on um, recommends? I would recommend if you like me 
thought for a long time that funeral was the very the first thing they'd done obviously there's earlier songs that they'd written but i would go back to the ep which you can get on spotify the seven track ep there's an old version or the original version of no cars go but even better than that i would say is a song called headlights look like diamonds which for me is just like endlessly fascinating as a song goes it's one of the best songs and uh, check out the Foo Fighters covering um, "Keep the Car Running." It's a good. Uh, it's funny that it's whenever whenever someone mentions Foo Fighters covering something, regardless of whether I've heard it or not, I can instantly in my head recreate how Dave Grohl's going to sing that. He's got such a distinctive way of singing. Yeah, and I just saw Rick Astley has covered Foo Fighters times like these. I think. <laughs> And Rick, As- it's just Rick Astley doing a Dave Grohl impression all the way through. It's, well, I know, it's I know what I'm going to do once we finish recording today. Yep. So coming up in uh, future review two and tumult episodes, we've review two. We've got uh, a review of Million Dollar Hotel to come soon. Um, that was a Twitter poll. We've got. Um, have we got any more review two coming? We'll do another Q and A soon. I think one of the things that was and... going to was going to be interesting to quite a few people was us finally getting around to covering Slain, which I felt was a bit of overkill during our actual review to live season because we we did Boston and it was yeah. it was very similar. However, it's been it's been that long. Well, next next year is review two's fifth anniversary, so we've got to keep some things for what no doubt will be a big celebration next September, twenty twenty one. Um, but yes, yeah, Slane's on our radar. Glasto's on our radar. Um, yeah, in, with Tummel, uh, we've got the Bruce Springsteen episode, Born to Run. That'll be our first episode we record when we can actually sit with each other in each other's houses and uh, discuss an album. We've got a guest on that uh, on that front. Uh, what else is coming up with Tummel, Johnny? Uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Oh, well, the ice cream van's here, so maybe that's maybe maybe that's um, time to go. Time yeah, to time go. to go outside and grab a ninety-nine. Listen to how loud that is. That's insanely get me, loud. Get me, get me a screwball. I'll, I'll try if I, if my ears are intact. Other than that, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us again. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review two to you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review two or search for the review two podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review two contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.